I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. We're sitting in the garden in the shade as it's a ridiculously hot day in Hackney. By we, I mean me and Mr Binks. I should just clarify that Mr Binks isn't my boyfriend, but he is my English toy terrier and Prudence is my miniature bull terrier. We're excited because we're about to go indoors into the cool to jump on Zoom and talk to vet Mark Abraham all about the new legislation Lucy's Law that will ban the third party sales of puppies but also to talk about a petition that is to be discussed in Parliament about banning the exploitative import of young puppies for sale in the UK. Hey, Mark. Hi, Anna. (laughs) So good to speak to you on Zoom. I know, right? It's the, the new uh, the new normal way of communicating, right? Yes, it does seem to be, you know. But um, having said that, I long to talk to people in real life. There's something, I know, I know. yeah, it, it's it's different. And um, it just reminds me of uh, Crufts, which was, of course, the last time we met in person. And your amazing book, Lucy's Law, had launched the day that we chatted live on air, face to face. We did. And um, I was proud that The Barking Hour was uh, probably one of the first radio interviews to talk about the book in actual print absolutely i mean not just that but the you and uh and the barking hour and i mean we go back years way way back to uh sort of pup aid early pup aid times and yes. uh, in fact the, the the show so pup aid for people who don't know is is the sort of anti-puppy farming uh, awareness dog show that i used to run and before it was actually called Pup Aid, it was called the World's Biggest Puppy Party, uh, which also took place in Brighton. Uh, and you, uh, you were very, very helpful in that. So thank you for, uh, from 11 years ago for your help with the, with the campaign, because that was the really, well, it was the early days. It was how, it was how we started the campaign. Well, it was really. So because... my, my bit of it. Well, yes, it was at the time, wasn't it, that that on the news everywhere, there was stories kind of gradually growing of people that had bought puppies and it was all dreadful. Puppies had died, puppies were sickly, um, that uh, the market was being flooded. Online, I think, was getting a bit stronger at that point. Would you agree? Do you think that had something to do with it? Yeah, I think think puppies started becoming really accessible. it wasn't the case of just going to a local breeder. It was a case of all these puppies, as you say, appearing online, these cute little pictures, usually the sort of the, the toy breeds, um, the cavies, the Bichons, the, the, again, the brachycephalic breeds, the Pugs and the, the Bostons uh, and the Frenchies, of course. And uh, they're very appealing for people that are, that are online um, to make inquiries and to either, at, the, at that time, it was either to go and see the puppies or to get them delivered um and um yeah that's kind of i think that was the sort of spike in demand and, and the newsworthiness of it all because there's a lot of puppies um, dying of parvo um being irresponsibly bred on puppy farms here and abroad uh and that's when i started uh seeing cases coming into my emergency clinic of parvo pups and of course i as you know in the book i i, I did an undercover sort of um, investigation to find out where they were actually coming from and it uh, they were being sold by illegal 
third party dealer buying them in from a legal puppy farm in Wales. And that's kind of what kicked off really um, Pup Aid and Lucy's Law and the campaigning. It was, uh, it was really down to one sort of fateful night in my emergency clinic. It's quite, it's quite crazy how, how stuff's happened since just because of that one evening with the Parvo pups. Wow, yeah. So did those Parvo pups actually die, Mark? Two didn't make it, sadly, um, but obviously six we saved. And uh, But it's so rare to see eight puppies presented with parvo in one night. You know, usually with a, in a practice, it's one a month, if that, because there's so much vaccination out there, uh, which prevents parvo, of course. Um, so when you have uh, irresponsible breeders that aren't vaccinating and these, these puppies are then sent out into the world, if you like, loaded with the virus, um, because of the incubation period, it usually sort of emerges uh, and overwhelms these puppies in then just when they get to their new home, which uh, is usually brought on by the stress of you know the transport and the new home. So it's it's a horrible disease. If anyone's ever experienced it, it stinks, absolutely stinks. It's one of those diseases you know as soon as a puppy comes in the building, it's parvo. Um, really? Um, and it rips them to pieces, and and it's it's incredibly hard to save them. And obviously, the early de earlier the detection, the better in terms of treatment and uh, outcome. It's terrible, isn't it, puppy farming? And um, the journey that you went on, you'd have never believed that it's taken quite so long to achieve the legislation to help stop this cruel trade. I mean, well, puppy farming has been going probably about four decades now. Um, it's been going because it's been it's legal. You know, a lot of people think it's illegal. You know, puppy farming. It's not. It's it's totally legal. There are unlicensed or illegal puppy farms, but on the whole, they are licensed by their local councils and they are completely legal. And because they are completely legal, and because before Lucy's Law in England, anyway, they relied on third parties to distribute and sell these puppies that they were producing. So, for example, pet shops is the classic example. But you know, dealers can operate from any uh, any residence, someone's garage, someone's house, uh, a rented property. The, the point was always, as soon as you separate the puppy from its mum and the mum remains hidden from public view and scrutiny, that's when the cruelty can happen and often does. Um, so it was always crucial to, to remove the third party element. So anyone buying a pup was dealing directly with the person who bred it. And therefore, if the pup got sick, there was accountability. And that was always crucial because we'd never, ever had accountability before Lucy's Law. So, uh, as you say, I mean, it took over 10 years to get the legislation passed. Um, people who've read the book will know exactly why. But, you know, the main reasons were we were being blocked uh, and we were being uh, hampered, let's say, by some of the biggest organisations uh, in the UK. And that's what I think not only was, was the hardest to take, um, but it, it, it's why any improvements were delayed for so long. And, and the, the thing that pains me and my fellow campaigners and any animal lover really is that delays of a year or two years or even five years, that's the life of a breeding dog. You know, it wasn't that, oh, we'll just do it next year or the year after. These, these tortured animals don't live very long and they're exploited their whole time. As soon as they're sexually mature, they are used, abused. Uh, and then destroyed when they become infertile. So these these timescales that we were talking about in Westminster, remember we're talking about a campaign that was over 10 years long, that's, that's a few lifetimes of some breeding dogs. And I think that was what was uh, the hardest for, for us campaigning group to, to take really, because 
the organisations that really should have known better were actually contributing and, in, in my opinion, complicit in, in what was going on. You know, that's really shocking, isn't it? And I, I know we can't really mention any names, but uh, uh, I must admit, I, I was totally shocked. And there is that point in the book where you've received your 100,000 signatures for the petition, and it was to go in and debate where's mum. And you you were with your mum, and it was yeah. down at Westminster. It was all going really well. You know, the campaigning was strong. But explain what happened at that point. Well, in, in yeah, the first ever petition I was involved with which uh, was had my name on it it was I was totally inexperienced as a campaigner but I was told by Caroline Lucas who's one of my local MPs in Brighton to get on the political radar e-petition is the, is the way forward and back then you had a year to, to get a hundred thousand uh, it was it was all fairly new and I thought maybe rather arrogantly that because I was doing media work I could connect with other people in the media and we could get this over the line very quickly in terms of the hundred thousands but it took six months it was one of the hardest things I've ever done but as you say, you know, uh, uh, and back then, some of those organisations that we've been talking about were backing the law change. And then, of course, the, the debate happened in the, in the House of Commons in the main chamber. It was a three hour debate and uh, it was thrown out and it was thrown out by the government um, because we believe and I've seen the leaked emails uh, that the pet industry were actually lobbying the government not to bring in. Uh, a ban on third party sales and we and we we think we assume that's because a ban on puppies and kittens in pet shops could potentially lead to a ban on rabbits uh, guinea pigs uh, you know other other animal fish reptiles anything else sold in pet shops would be which would be a disaster for a lot of the big pet industry chains so that's why we believe that that happened uh, and then of course a few years later we did another petition and of course we got it over the line in, in 13 days the, the lucy's law petition um, but, but again, those organisations not only weren't supporting it, but they were actually trying and some of them successfully blocking uh, behind the scenes whilst giving the impression that they were sort of caring uh, and on our side. It was incredibly stressful time. And that's why Lucy's Law, uh, sort of just the clock, running the clock back a bit, that's why we came up with Lucy's Law was because we were faced with so much, um, we were faced with so many uh, blockages, if you like, that the only way to really uh, continue the campaign was to personalise it, to honour it, uh, the campaign um, for Lucy, who was a, a rescued breeding dog from a Welsh uh, licensed puppy farm, legal puppy farm, who sadly died after three years in freedom. So by renaming the campaign and personalising it, it took on a whole new energy. And then we, we managed to carry on and got the, the 100,000 in 13 days. And then we, that was the, the sort of the, the final stretch, if you like. But there were years, 2014, 15, 16, early 17, uh, where we were sort of just up against every possible brick wall possible. And as I said, some of them um, from some of the biggest animal welfare organisations in the UK. It's extraordinary because really at the very basic principle, um, these puppy farm operations, they do contravene absolutely every, every level of the Animal Welfare Act, brackets 2006. And when that came in, that was big news, as you all know, you know, finally animals had a law, you know, um, which they didn't have before. So it's it's always sat really bizarrely with myself as to how with those that law in place that insists that dogs must have fresh water, must have daylight, must be exercised, that their needs must be met, that these these places um, of, of conveyor belt breeding could be given a license. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, when 
these places are inspected, uh, obviously they're given a warning. And of course, as soon as you give someone a warning, they have a few days or maybe even longer to tidy the place up, um, you know, move the, the, the worst looking dogs, if you like, to someone else or another premises, tidy the place up, change the light bulbs, fill the water troughs, and, uh, and then just do enough to, to, to tick all those boxes on the, on the inspector's clipboard. And then as soon as they go, that's another year of, of, of uh, letting it deteriorate again. So sadly, and I do believe there's a lot of corruption going on in that world, uh, people warning other people, um, as I say, moving the breeding dogs to, 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 to make it, um, to hide them really. And then of course you had a, a court case, uh, which, which another campaign group, Chance Pixies, brought to, to the, the High Court uh, about three years ago, where the, the judge said that breeding dogs don't actually, aren't really covered under the Animal Welfare Act at all. So they're almost exempt from that protection. So it's, it's a so sad, sorry state really, because we are a nation of animal lovers, but there are so many gaps in not just dog and cat welfare, but all sorts of animal welfare, you know, ban the live export thing and trophy hunting. There's so many easy wins, if you like, to improve animal welfare that are just ignored or delayed or, or just kicked into the long grass. And it's incredibly frustrating. Yes, but it, you must say that this government has been proactive with that, not not least with Lucy's law, but also with Finn's law to protect service animals. Um, so there has been change. But moving on slightly, so obviously we were at Crufts and every, everything was great and the book had just launched. And Lucy's law became legislation, was it on the 6th of April, Mark, this year? Yeah, 6th of April in England only. Um, Scotland and Wales have both promised Lucy's Law, but they haven't set their dates yet. And just on that last point, I, I totally agree with you. There has been huge uh, improvements um, in, in animal welfare legislation in the UK, Lucy's Law, Finn's Law. Um, so I'm totally not um, knocking them. And, and it's a lot of it is thanks to the current um, administration. So Michael Gove, when he came into DEFRA, he made a huge, huge impact. Now we've got Zach in there. Um, and, that, and they are massive animal lovers. Um, so progress is being made. It's just as a, from a campaigning point of view, it's never quick enough. No, I, I, I know. But the thing is, <laughs> this journey of campaigning, Mark, you know, it has it changed you? What, you know, would you have ever believed when you studied at vet school that actually you would be changing history? Uh, definitely not. I mean, as, again, if you've read the book, you know that my upbringing was incredibly sort of sheltered and shy and introvert, and I never really spoke to humans, let alone uh, friends. Um, and my, my mates were butterflies and caterpillars and moths and, and anything to do with nature. So to go from that extreme to now, uh, yeah, changing laws, uh, working very closely with, with celebrities and uh, obviously even sourcing the, the rescue puppy Dylan for the prime minister, um, I could <laughs> I could never have predicted um, that sort of that arc, if you like. But um, it's it has been incredible. Yes, it has changed me. Going back to your original question, um, it's made me much more aware of the world. It's made me better at communicating with 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 others. And I, and I think part of being a campaigner, especially leading a campaign, is is being the glue. That, that does stick together sort of, uh, you know, the public, celebrities, MPs, uh, and it's that working together that will always uh, achieve um, change quickest. 
So that's what I, it's, for, for me, it's communication skills, it's relationship building, and that is essential to campaigning. And, and that's something I really, really didn't have when I was growing up. So yeah, it's totally changed me. Maybe a tortoise, hey, called Speedy, um, yeah, might, yeah, might beg tortoise. to differ. Your tortoise. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, that's when I was three. And, uh, and I mean, I, I, I do actually vaguely remember, it, which is odd, but um, I did remove a maggot, a fly larvae, a blue bottle larvae from, um, from my pet tortoise Speedy's leg when I was three because it was in a wound and the leg got better and the tortoise got better and that's what made me sort of want to help animals but my original when I went to vet school in my interview um, I had in my mind I wanted to become a, a tropical um, vet so I wanted to help in Africa and, uh, and and help people there so I think there was always a sense of helping others and helping animals um, but I didn't obviously have any idea that it would all be shaped into into being a campaigner and working in Westminster and I say volunteering in Westminster, it's not paid, um, but it, and actually changing stuff. And, and it's, uh, you know, for someone that was as a kid, all I wanted, all I wanted to do was help animals to actually help them on this huge scale now. And it's, you know, Lucy's Law is it's the beginning. It's so, certainly not the, the be all and end all, but it's definitely the first step in tackling to, uh, puppy farming. Um, and there's a, there's a load of other stuff um, that's opened up that I can help with or, or, or help, um, help direct the traffic, if you like, of campaigning or just give advice to other campaigners. Because once you've been through what we've been through, and that's not just me, it's, you know, Linda and Sue from Cariad, it's Sarah Clover, it's uh, Julia Carr, it's um, Philippa Robinson, all our grassroots campaigners. Once you've been through all that, you want to share it with others to help their campaigns too, because it's so much information and so many tools and so much, so, so much gold that you can actually say, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to write it like that, you need to talk to these people. And that can only help animals in, in a much greater way. So I've kind of become a campaigner. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Um, and, and as that, with your campaigner head on, you know, how mm. do you feel at the moment? Because obviously, you know, Lucy's law became legislation at the beginning of this unprecedented situation we're in, you know, and, and the lockdown, because that it's been difficult for anyone really to obey by the rules totally, you know, enforcing anything really at the moment, including face masks and, and, sure. and, and the like, you know, so despite Lucy's law coming in and being law, we've seen an unprecedented demand in puppies that, that nobody expected due to the fact of isolation and everybody basically wanting a puppy. And it, it ironically, if you like, led to a lot of puppy sales online, right? It's, it's led to a lot of puppies being advertised online. And, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out the difference between being sold online and advertised online um, because um, being sold online basically means someone takes your money. Maybe there's a pup, maybe there isn't. Uh, and then usually the puppy gets delivered, which is, of course, a, a third party sale and illegal. Um, advertised online is a whole different uh, ball game. Um, advertise online you can have responsible breeders advertising online you can have rescue shelters advertising online and you can have irresponsibly bred pups being advertised online so it's the advertising that then leads to a transaction or a visit to the breeder that's where the the, the action happens really because if the mum isn't there it's illegal it's as simple as that so yes the lockdown really did come at a bad time for Lucy's law uh, because all of a sudden those restrictions, those protections were lifted. The, the, the mentality being it's better in terms of human uh, uh, virus transmission, it's better for a, uh, someone to deliver, so one person to deliver a puppy 
rather than two people to collect one. That was the kind of the, the, the thoughts behind it. So restrictions were lifted, which meant that all puppies could be delivered. Now, this could be a puppy that was ordered last year from a very responsible breeder, or it could be a puppy that was um, coming in from abroad or from a Welsh puppy farm. Um, the accountability completely went, uh, and that was very frustrating. Um, as you say, p people really, really went to town on buying puppies for mental health, for having a project, uh, to train a puppy, to... Uh, entertain the kids and of course there's huge problems that go along with that first of all the sourcing as we've discussed but also the lack of um, socialization for that puppy during social isolation um, social uh, distancing because puppies of course couldn't come into contact with other dogs or humans so I'm hearing a lot now from behaviorists that a lot of puppies now are fearful uh, because this, this is the first time they're actually meeting uh, other dogs and humans um, well out of their socialization period and also we've got the separation anxiety risk for people going back to work so it's thrown up so many so many problems um, but for me one of, the, one of the biggest issues is puppies coming in from abroad um, uh, which obviously you've been a huge supporter of this new campaign yeah and that's uh, almost because perhaps we did run out of puppies you know the the headline was we went into lockdown we'd run out of loo roll <laughs> and we come out of lockdown and we've run out of puppies i mean just uh, i couldn't believe it you know it's mind-blowing but as a result of that there's a demand so you've got your unscrupulous business people that think right let's capitalize on this demand and and explain what this latest petition ban um ban <laughs> uk imports it's well, basically, um, the demand thing is quite interesting because just because there's a demand, in my opinion, it doesn't mean we have to supply it. Yep. There's this crazy notion that, oh, my God, everyone wants one. So we have to have them coming in from anywhere to, you know, to, to make up numbers. And I don't think that's a, that's that's very clever at all it's certainly not animal welfare orientated because it means that people never have to wait for a puppy or people never have to wait for a certain breed there's always a breed available and there's or a crossbreed and there's always a puppy available and that is not a, a, a great move to be honest with you and, and i think you have almost like this false demand because it's not like uh oh my god uh, i really want a cockapoo but there's none left so i'm just gonna have to be patient it's there is one out there and I can get it because the channels that they can come into the country are legal. And this is a, a huge, huge issue. So it was obviously highlighted quite high profile um, by the death of uh, Mr. Chai, who was a Pomeranian puppy uh, owned by the Love Island couple, um, Molly May and Tommy Fury. And, and they, you know, they, they, they weren't doing anything wrong. You know, maybe they hadn't done as much research as someone else, but they certainly weren't breaking the law. They certainly weren't going on the dark net. Um, so basically, they, they bought a puppy via an agent who then uh, flew the puppy to Amsterdam and couriered it into the UK. So it bypassed any licensed premises in the UK, no inspected premises. It just comes in, gets shaved because it's covered in excrements and, and feces. Usually they put a cute jumper on it and it gets delivered. My point being, this is a legal route to market. Now, when the government are saying you should always physically see the puppy interacting with its mum in the place it was born, that's impossible. When the government are launching their new uh, expensive pet fish campaign, which again is to always see the puppy with its mum and to beware of scams, that's impossible again because you, you cannot physically see the puppy with its mum when it's born in Russia or Hungary or Romania. So when the government are saying, uh, giving this advice, 
it's like it's like they're saying to the public you have two legal options to buy a puppy either you can see it without its mum but we recommend you see it with its mum when you're not actually force uh, closing down that option i.e making it illegal it's for me very frustrating because the government are almost saying to the public you know this is how you do it but ignore something that we are also saying it's legal you know what i mean yeah close close it down don't give them the option make it illegal to to have a puppy coming in from abroad and kind of they're almost with saying uh, physically see the puppy with its mum in the place it was born they're almost warning people against their own licensed route to market with the pups coming in from abroad so don't blame the public for making these decisions when they're trying to do things legally and, and people buying puppies usually try and do it the right way. No one's looking on the, on the, as I say, no one's looking on the dark web for an illegal puppy. No. They're trying to do it the right way. So if the only options that are available are legal, but the government is saying choose one, not the other, then shut the other one down. Yes, I mean, I, I, I hear you there, you know, it, um, but having said that, you know, Eastern European puppy farms have exploited our pet passport scheme, you know, and there's been cases of vans at, uh, you know, Folkestone coming in on, on the Euro tunnel, packed full of puppies in terrible conditions, you know, with counterfeit pet paperwork, you know, and my, my little thought on this, Mark, I'd love to hear what you think, is if we made the passport scheme go back to how it was in 2012 when it would actually mean that a dog coming in from Europe would the youngest it could come in would be a year one year old um, on the basis that previously vets did recommend that a rabies shot should only be given to a dog at six months and then you have to wait for that six month incubation period uh, before a puppy could come from say France back into the UK um, wouldn't that just sort it all out uh, in, a, in a word yes it would um, I don't think you'll ever get a year as a minimum age because it's at the moment it's 15 weeks and I think that's quite a leap however the compromise that and the solution I think that even some of the big animal welfare organizations are even coming to a consensus around is six months as a minimum age and I'll explain why uh, so, so at the moment it's 15 weeks um, six months would be the ideal minimum age to come in I mean a year would be a dream but I don't think it's going to happen six months would be a minimum age because the secondary dentition the permanent teeth come through at six months and it's very very hard to fake teeth um, so they'll be easily easy uh, to uh, enforce and to detect and the other thing is obviously from our point of view um, you've got a situation where no one's going to want to sell or advertise or buy a puppy for six months it's completely unattractive to a, a puppy buyer and no breeder abroad is going to want to keep a puppy on their premises until six months so you kind of put the biggest dent in the market by saying okay uh, the minimum age is six months that also ties in with other calls from animal welfare organizations recently to and this is in, again in line with exactly what you're saying for the for the rabies injection to be given and then for the puppy to be blood tested uh, and for those results to come back to prove that puppy has you know is, is obviously rabies free and has the antibodies before it comes into the UK yeah. so you're, you're absolutely right raising the age is key so uh, I want to make a point that recently and you'll know about this story there was a horrible uh, shipment of uh, puppies that were sent from the Ukraine to Canada 
uh, totally legally. Again, stress, this is a legal thing. We're not talking about illegal puppy smuggling. This is legal. Uh, when, it, when the uh, plane arrived, 38 puppies had died. I think they were all Frenchies. Most of the others were in a bad state and, and dehydrated, etc. My point is, when this happened, the Canadian government responded within about two weeks and raised the import age of puppies coming from Ukraine into Canada to eight months. So that was a, a direct response. And that's what we need to see here. A mm. response to uh, a, a huge problem, uh, a huge problem because of this false demand that's been created by lockdown. But the tools are there uh, to actually improve the situation, provide a solution. So we really hope that this petition, which was originally set up by a girl called Lucy, unbelievably, um, up in Preston and Lancashire, and has, as you know, it's, it's received the support of Ricky Gervais and Simon Cowell and Ellie Goulding and Davina McCall. Uh, incredible celebrity support. The Mirror again, some, some forward-thinking brands like Agria and Viovet, even Pets for Homes, you know, who, who, yeah. who advertise. And, and they refuse to advertise or uh, put on their website puppies that come from abroad. So they're on board. They've just been recently taken over and they've got a whole new energy about them. Yes, um, I read that. It's good. They're Swedish. I didn't know that, which is interesting. Been taken over by a Swedish company, yeah, yeah. which is an agria of Swedish as well. So yeah. um, it's th there's a lot of good stuff happening behind the scenes. Of course there is. And and on that note, now I, I really want to just talk about AppDog. Um, ah, yes, because yes, this is sort of your baby, isn't it? That you've fused your campaigning, fused your connections with Parliament, if you like, and the media, which is uh, enviable, Mark. And you've created exactly that, a platform to help people. Explain a bit more. Yeah, well, when I started going to Westminster in the early days, I was always a bit starstruck by sort of meeting an MP or even going into Westminster in the first place. Um, as you know from the book, my first ever meeting with an MP was with Neil Parrish. And I was so inexperienced with campaigning, I, <laughs> I took my grandma and my mum with me. I mean, what was going on there? It was like we'd won a competition on a cereal packet or something. That's right. Um, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and now I'm on a you know, WhatsApp group with the, the, the Prime Minister and, and uh, his fiance, and they send me pictures of, uh, of, of Dylan, of course, every few days. It's how things have changed, right? Um, AppDog was set up. So AppDog, let me explain, is, is an all-party parliamentary group, which are official um, groups within Westminster, and they, they focus on different subjects. So, for example, every, most countries have a an APPG, an all-party par parliamentary group. Um, there was an animal welfare one, there still is an animal welfare one, and I used to go there a lot and, and meet MPs and meet other campaigners, and you kind of met people on Twitter in real life, and it was really exciting because you could sort of hang out and go for beers afterwards, and, and campaigning really came to life rather than just being online. Um, and uh, it got to a point where, as I said at the beginning of our chat, where the, the some of the biggest animal welfare organisations in the UK were weren't on our side, let's say, in supporting us. And I, and I want to make quite clear that the majority of animal welfare organisations in the UK were totally on side. So this, this was, you know, quite rare. But the only real way to, to expose, really, in front of a crowd of people what was going on uh, was, to, was to invite them to a meeting. So Rob Fellow, who is the Stoke South Labour MP at the time, and I were very, very close mates. And we came up with this idea to start up our own APPG for dog welfare. 
uh, separate to the animal welfare one, which we did. And it's a very official process. It takes a lot of time and form filling in. And then we invited the charities in and basically exposed in front of a group of people, a whole packed room of people in Westminster, that they had actually tried to sabotage uh, the campaign. And it took that for the campaign then to change direction completely because no one was really believing what we were saying. But we were able to expose uh, in a room in Westminster um, exactly what was going on behind the scenes. AppDog has now taken on a whole new life of its own. Um, as you know, we have regular meetings in Westminster and we bring contentious subjects into the house. So greyhound racing, use of dogs and experimentation. We have one meeting a year where we honour uh, unsung heroes. And we have a Philippa Robinson uh, Special Recognition Award of about, I think it's about six or 700 people now that receive our monthly newsletters. My point being, everyone is welcome to come because when I started going to Westminster, um, it was a privilege, it still is. And to go into the House of Commons and the Palace of Westminster and meet people, politicians, other campaigners should be, should be available to everybody. And uh, what I wanted to do is set up a platform where any member of the public uh, who loves dogs can go in and meet people and join in and subscribe to the newsletters and be part of change. And if anyone wants to subscribe to the newsletters, just go to appdogs, that's A-P-D-A-W-G.co.uk, just put your email address on the homepage and then you'll find out where the next meetings are which will probably be honestly it's going to be next year i think but um it's 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 a platform for everyone to come and everyone to feel welcome and for everyone to be part of change uh, wherever that is in the dog world well i've loved going i've only been once which i'm terribly ashamed of and i will next year mark make uh, more sure. effort and come down because i really enjoyed it it was absolutely brilliant and i applaud you for that and i applaud the work that you've done to help Britain's dogs. Thanks, Anna. That's our show, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, I agree. What Mark was saying about raising the age of puppies in the pet passport scheme really does make sense. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe. We're streaming on all platforms. And while you're there, go on, give us a five-star review because it really will help other dog lovers find us. Thank you, of course, to Mark the Vet, who is at Mark the Vet, to my producer, Mike Hansen, at Pod People UK, and for the latest on me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We are back next Sunday because A Dog's Life is now weekly. And many thanks to my sponsor, Earth Animal, at Earth Animal 1979. Bye for now. Pod people. Thank you to Earth Animal No Hide Choose. Order yours now at earthanimal.com forward slash UK.